take our Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. And uh, next week, of course, of being Christmas Day, we'll deviate from our series on the Sermon on the Mount. But for this morning, we're going to stick with it. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking here uh, primarily at verses 10 through 12 this morning. Uh, <clears throat> but we'll begin here in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Then beginning verse number 10, or really our text for today, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want to speak this morning on this thought. Have you any identification? Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, make clear or that which you've made clear in your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be receptive, that we would be self-examining, that we would be open, Holy Spirit, to your leading, prompting in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray that you would produce in our lives what the work that you need to do. May we be surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we've been looking here uh, through the Beatitudes or the Attitudes, and I've tried to just kind of review quickly at the beginning of each message, the first four really show us uh, the heart of Christ and how to come to the heart of God. It reflects the essence of the person of who he is. If I'm going to come to God, I must see my need for him. I must be broken. Uh, I must submit to the Lord's conviction in my heart and my life. Uh, and then that's going to develop a yearning in my heart. So we've seen that those first four are essentially the keys to God's heart. It is God working in our lives and drawing us into himself. The second four uh, are the keys to expressing Christ. It is then Christ changing in our heart and, and producing outwardly that which Christ has done inwardly. Uh, and so we then begin giving. We have a heart that's given wholly to God. Uh, we begin to seek reconciliation with God and with man. And then this morning we see that our identification is with Christ. We live increasingly in a time where the world has lost all concept of identity. I mean, we really live in a time when people think that if I want to identify as anything and everything, that I should just be accepted that way. Uh, and that that's the way that it is. But that's not the way that it is. We, we are what God made us to be. And, and so, you know, I could, I, I saw some things this week while I was out that I I'm just kind of shook my head at. It's just hard to grasp where we are as, culturally and as a society and that people are buying into that mindset. But the truth of the matter is, is that just because I identify myself as something doesn't make it so. And I, I, want to convey this morning the thought that, that just because I identify as a Christian doesn't make it so. 
And the thing about it is, whenever people say something about themselves for so long, eventually they begin to believe it. In other words, I can go out and I can, I can say, you know, I, I can be a horrible person and convince myself that I'm a good person. Uh, I can be an unkind person and convince myself that I'm a kind person. And I can tell myself that over and over again to the point that I believe it, get defensive about it when it's challenged, uh, and have the, those kinds of issues. I do not believe, I, I, I'm a Baptist this morning from the top of my head to the bottom of my foot. Uh, I am so because I believe that it, it denominationally lines as close to the Bible as anything that's out there. But I do not believe, as some do, that the only people that are on their way to heaven are Baptists. Being a Christian is about trusting Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, those that are trusting in baptism along with it are trusting in their works. They're not trusting in Jesus. Those that believe that church attendance is a part of it are trusting in their works and they're not trusting solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that G the Bible teaches clearly that the way to God is Jesus and Jesus is the only way. And, and he told us that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And just because I wear a, a, a badge on my heart that, that and I try to convince myself that I identify as a Christian doesn't make me a Christian. Uh, years ago, uh, whenever we moved back to Texas and, and my wife moved to Texas for the first time, we've, we've lived, since we've been married, we've, we've, been, we've lived in Maryland when we first got married. We've, we lived in Maryland when I was in the military. Then we moved to Tennessee. Then we moved to Arkansas. Then we moved here. Uh, and so we've moved a few more times, but within those states and, and you know, every time that we would have to go get uh, identification, it really was a fairly simple process. It, it wasn't that big of a deal until we moved to Texas. And we moved to Texas and I go down to the, to the office and, uh, and I, I really tried to, you know, kind of do my homework and make sure that I had everything in order. The furthest thing from my mind after 20 plus years of marriage at that point uh, was I needed our marriage license or certificate. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We've been married for over 20 years. She's, she's got W-2 forms. She has tax returns that have her listed with, with my name. Uh, and I had to send to Puerto Rico to get copies of uh, because even the copies that we had weren't good enough because they weren't on this new security paper. Uh, and some of you that have moved to Texas recently are like, yeah, we're there. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it was just this whole big process. Why? Because we had to prove that we were, in fact, who we said we were. Amen. We had to prove that we were not fraudulently claiming to be something that we were not. And I believe that what Jesus is communicating here. As he's setting out, launching his ministry, as he's going forward and he's, and he's making the case that this is what the outline essentially of my kingdom is and my ministry is about. I'm coming to make this personal. I'm coming to make this not about religion and not about the sacrificial system. I'm coming to offer myself a sacrifice that we might have a relationship together, that we might move together, uh, and that I might establish my kingdom. Uh, and so he's laying that groundwork. And, and uh, the bottom line is, is that as a Christian, it's not enough for me to say I'm a Christian. 
there should be evidence and proof of it. I believe that a lot of places have, have conditioned us to believe that if we do these things, then that makes us a good Christian. I can tell you biblically and wholeheartedly that you can be a horrible Christian or not even a Christian at all and do all the right things and check all those boxes. If I don't have a relationship with Christ and if I'm not changed and converted from the inside out, then it really, all of the outside is just superficial. I'm talking about authentic, genuine, real identification that is undeniable. So what does that look like for a Christian? Well, Jesus makes the case here. He says, blessed are, ye, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We talk about identification, by definition, it's just the act of making or proving to be the same or to prove that this is what it's supposed to be. It is the validation, the proof. They are what or whom they profess to be. Uh, and so we go through those processes to solidify that. Persecution, reviling, slander, identify us with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying this morning that every moment of every day of our lives and every place that we go out in public, that in order for me to be identified as a Christian, then, then people have got to be having that kind of an, a reaction to me. I'm not going out to provoke a reaction. I could. I mean, we could go everywhere we go and we could, and there are churches that do that, that, uh, that could uh, go out and just stir the pot to provoke a reaction. That's not the, what Jesus commanded us to do, and that's not how he went about ministry. But if we go out and we just live righteously, if we live godly, if we love others, if, we're, if we preach the word of God, if we stand true to its principles, then there are going to be people who are going to be offended by that because the truth of the gospel by its nature is offensive. It is offensive to a world that lives an immoral lifestyle in many various forms uh, to, to hear someone say uh, God is against this type of living, uh, they're offended by that. I saw on just it was on the a news app. It was just a picture of a celebrity uh, that said something along the lines of uh, "my truth, my uh, my this, my that, my morality." Listen, the only truth is God's truth. Amen. The only morality is God's morality. Truth is absolute. You, you, Brother Don was telling me about having arguments with kids in his in his high school classes uh, and in public schools that uh, that gravity doesn't exist. That they don't believe in gravity. Go stand underneath a brick. And, uh, and listen, whether I believe it or not, it exists. Just because someone doesn't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. And, and honestly, I mean, we laugh, but that's how absurd our culture and society is becoming quickly. And if we have to understand that because of that, persecution to those that stand for truth, what most of us would just say is common sense, is going to provoke a response. It's not going to be friendly. So how am I supposed to react to that as a Christian? It identifies me with Christ. He was persecuted. He was reviled. He was, he was not an antagonist, but he did stand for truth and for righteousness. So what does he say here? 
Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It doesn't say, blessed are they that are persecuted for self-righteousness' sake. It doesn't say, blessed are they who are persecuted for being a jerk. It doesn't say, blessed are those that are persecuted because they're mean or caustic in their spirit or their personality. It says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so, I want to understand what he means here. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. What does that mean? And persecute you. And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So what are we talking about here? Listen. Persecution, reviling, slander. Uh, identify us with Christ. First John chapter 3 uh, and verse number 13. Uh, he said it this way. Uh, he said. I'm going to chapter 2. Marvel not my brethren if the world hates you. It shouldn't surprise us that the world would attack us and lash out at us and mock us and ridicule us. Uh, it, 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 it should be expected. In John's gospel, chapter number 15, in verses 18 and 19, he said, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love, your, uh, would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Listen, if I live with, for Christ, the world is not, is not going to accept me. We see that persecution is the infliction of pain, punishment, or death upon others unjustly. We see that demonstrated in Acts chapter number 8. The first three verses, then Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, was consenting unto his death, speaking of Stephen. And at that time... There was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. And so here's Saul, for just simply because they named the name of Jesus Christ, that they believed in him as their Lord and Savior. He was separating families, putting them in prison, and in some places is here is Stephen's execution. Then you fast forward to chapter 9, and you see the same Saul on his way to Damascus to persecute the church, and he meets Jesus. Amen. And his life has changed. Yes. Knowing full well what's coming. You know, a lot of times that's hard for us in our culture to understand. It's hard for us to relate to if I, if I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's going to cost me something. Some places in Eastern culture understand far better than we do that, that principle. There are some places in the world where they know that if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're disowned from their families. They're cut off from their inheritance. Uh, they, could be, uh, they could be executed. They could uh, suffer, be, be an honor-killing victim. They could, all of these things could come about. Paul understood better than anybody when he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, the price that he likely would pay. But he trusted him anyway. Why? Because he saw truth. He was willing uh, to, he, he wanted the relationship more than anything else. Uh, and so he understood his need. And Jesus revealed to him himself. So persecution, the affliction or pain or punishment, or up to and including death upon someone who is undeserving other of it or uh, to be served unjustly. 
to revile. What does that mean? In 2 Samuel chapter 16, we see an example uh, of what that means. In uh, verses 5 through 13, and we see here David is fleeing from Absalom. And when King David came to Bahriam, uh, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, uh, and the son of Gera. And he came forth and cursed still as he came, and cast stones at David and at all the servants of the king, uh, and David and all the people and all the mighty men that were on his right hand and on his left. Uh, and, he, and, and thus said Shimei when he, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man and thou man of Belial. Uh, and so when he continues on there, uh, just berating David. And all David is doing is leaving the city, fleeing for his life, regrouping and getting ready for what comes next. And here's this man on the side of the road that is just lashing out at him. What is that? That's reviling. So if you are reviled at work, if you are reviled uh, by uh, neighbors, if you are reviled and we will as a revile, be reviled by the culture, we're labeled as, as bigots and being hateful and being all these things just simply because we stand up and say that this is moral and this is immoral and this is right and this is wrong and this is truth and this is untruth, that we should not be surprised by that, but we should expect it and we should understand that that identifies us with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I'm coming. This is what my ministry is going to be about. It's going to be about showing people that they need me. It's going to be about creating a hunger and a thirst in them for me. It's going to be about causing them to come to themselves and realize their sinful state. It's going to cause them to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's going to cause them uh, to begin to be changed in their heart. They're going to have a different spirit. They're going to be uh, more generous in giving. They're going to give me their heart completely. And because of that, the world is going to revile and persecute and hate them. Hey, listen, if I can go out today and I can interact with the people, if I, if I uh, you know, my work is here, but if I was like, like you and, and, and you could go to work tomorrow, and, and for weeks on end, and you can blend in to the people at work that curse God, that hate God, that are immoral, and them have no idea that you don't agree with that, and that your life is different than that, you are not being identified as a Christian. I'm not saying that it's your job to go in there and start pointing your finger and saying, hey, you're doing this, that's immoral. But I'm also not saying that you should be there whenever they get it going on those things that you, that you just chime in like it's great and it's a normal good thing. Sometimes just saying nothing at all is saying enough. I remember when I was working at a valve company in Chattanooga and before Sonia and I got back in church and when I started working there, I just got out of the military and there really wasn't, I was a Christian, but at that point in my life, I was far enough away from the Lord that there really wasn't any difference in my language and theirs and my humor and theirs. And, uh, and whenever we got right with the Lord, overnight, my language changed, what I would listen. And I didn't rebuke them. I just leave the break room. If they started being crass or vulgar, inappropriate, I would... I didn't rebuke them. I just left. I wasn't going to listen to it. Well, it didn't take long before they started asking questions. 
hey, you used to be in the break room and now you're not. You understand what I'm trying to communicate this morning? I'm not advocating that Christians should be hateful, antagonistic, coercive people. But I am saying that the people in our natural way of life ought to be able to tell that there is a stark contrast between our values and the values of this world. And if there's not, I'm not identifying as a Christian. If I cannot be looked and identified, I can look around the room this morning and I can say, okay, uh, just to put it where we are culturally today, uh, you know, there's Andy. I, I, I can, Andy's a guy. There's Miss Nadine, she's a lady. You know, I, I saw some things this week that you had to kind of scratch your head and wonder. And then I saw some that you look at and they thought they, thought they were one, but they clearly weren't. Uh, and and it's this, it's, listen, it, it say, Pastor, it's just labels. No, it's not just labels. What I'm, at, what I'm saying this morning is, is that the world should be able to look at us and tell who and what we are. Amen. There should be no question. There should be no question in the mind of anybody that spends more than a few minutes talking to us that we're different. And I don't mean different in an ugly, unkind, hateful way. I mean different because we're kind, different because we're compassionate, different because, uh, because we love the Lord and because the Lord just comes out of us. Say, Pastor, is that the way that you always respond? Sadly, I, I can't say that it is, but I, it's a goal. I wish it was. I'm working toward it. And finding the balancing act of uh, living life. Listen, but to be reviled, Jesus said it was going to happen. And that identifies us with Christ. False accusation. Those that would falsely charge to make things up in order to discredit us. It's going to be the case. To be persecuted for the cause of Christ proves that we are his. And we will not willingly suffer for that which we do not believe. I think one of the greatest testimonies of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ are the early Christians who were willing to be burned at the stake rather than to recant their faith. Why? Because you're not going to sacrifice, suffer, and give up your life for something that you don't believe in. For them to suffer that kind of death, singing praises to God as they burned, speaks to the fact that they believed with every fiber of their being that what they were giving their lives for in such a horrible way was true and was right. You see, a lot of people today will not speak truth because they're too afraid that it's gonna hurt someone's feelings. A lot of people today won't speak truth because they're afraid of the backlash. Well, if I say that, or if I stand for that, I might get reprimanded, I might get fired, I might get this. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be careful but if my boss comes to me and says that I have to do things that are against God, is my integrity more important to me than my job? 50 years ago, there was no question in most people's minds whether they were saved or lost, their integrity was the most important thing that they had. Those days are long gone even for Christians. 
And we were better people and a better culture and society whenever we cared more about our integrity. Jesus, I believe, is stating the case that honor, integrity is paramount. Be who you are. Be what I'm making you. Whether you're praised for it or whether you're persecuted for it, you're my child. Do you love me? Can you be identified with me? Paul chose to become a Christian knowing full well what it would cost him. So when persecution comes, first this morning, will I be persecuted? Am I willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Now I'm not going to belabor the point this morning. We've got a big day ahead of us and, and a uh, time tonight as well. And, but I do just want to make the case here as Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount and he's about to turn to be a light in the world. So he's, press, he's preparing them. You trust me. You let me transform you. Understand that whenever you go out, this is the reaction that you're going to get from many. Now go be a light. Now we're not going to get that far today, but am I willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Am I willing this morning to stand up for the sake of godly principles? If not, what will I stand for? You know, I, I do believe that we have gone so far from the Lord culturally that even in our churches, it's like we've just retreated inside our four walls and we're little hidey holes of, for places for Christians to come and, yeah. and be unpersecuted rather than taking a stand for righteousness. Yeah. And again, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to take a stand. Are we just playing hide and seek from the world this morning? Are we willing to stand for righteousness? Are, are we willing to step up and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what truth is. This is godliness. Listen, never be afraid to stand up and name the name of Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor, I, I, you know, if it, people, I found that people are a little bit, you know, less agitated if I just talk about him more generally, like God. Yeah, because God applies to any God that they want to apply it to. I, I've, I've learned over the years, and, you know, we, when you, if you have to deal with any type of, you know, real spiritual warfare type of issues, and when you pray, you better be real specific because the God of this world to a lot of people is God. You, know, you understand what I'm saying this morning? There are a lot of people that will talk freely about God and the God that they're talking about is Satan because they're wicked. They use the same language and the same terminology. Our God is Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Savior is Jesus. So what about God the Father? He is our Father in heaven. But the creator of this world, the Trinity was all involved in the creation, don't get me wrong, but Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our Lord. We come this morning, are we worshiping God the Father? Absolutely. Do we worship the Holy Spirit of God and let him work in our lives? Absolutely. But we're here primarily to focus and lift up and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. It's Pastor Why? Because that's who God exalted. The Father exalted the Son. 
It was the son that came to earth. It was the son that went to the cross. It was the son that rose from the grave. It was the son that led death captivity captive. We lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ unashamedly. Will we stand for the sake of godly principle? Just two principles here about that or two applications, I guess. What do you mean, Pastor, by a godly principle? Well, is it a biblical principle? Will I take a stand for a Bible principle, a Bible truth? If I have to stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that sometimes things just, it's hard for me to not respond, sometimes not in the best way uh, or not at the best time. But if somebody comes out and says to me very bluntly something that's just completely contrary to the word of God, I'm wired in such a way that it's hard for me to not contradict that. Now, I'm not going to do so ugly. I'm not going to say, oh, you got that. I'm not going to try to demean them or anything like that. But I'm just going to say, you know, well, God said this. And that generally doesn't get received real well. But there are some things that if somebody stands up and just says it's so blatantly wrong. For example, we had, oh, it's been, it's been probably three or four years ago now. And the guy still texts me from time to time. A couple, three times a year at least I hear from him. But he came out and he was leaving the auditorium and he stated real boldly that he believed in, uh, in, in some doctrine that was heresy. And he, did, he just put out and he, was, and he, and he just kind of caught me off guard and pigeonholed me and said, hey, I believe this and I believe all of the tenets of this. What do you think about that? And I just, my, and I was talking to three people at one time, basically, because I had somebody standing here, shaking their hand, passing by, and the next person here right in front of me, and then this coming at me from this direction. And just before I could even think about it, really, it wasn't the best way to handle the situation. I'm not advocating this. But my, my, my instinctive response was, well, that's heresy. And that's just the way I said it. Now, I didn't say it with a nasty attitude, but I just said that that's not biblically accurate. That's heresy. It's false teaching. Uh, and so, you know, needless to say, he's not a member of Victory Baptist Church this morning. But when he needs something, he calls me or texts me. And I try to help him. He's a good guy. But we just disagree on that. And, and I'm just saying this morning that am I willing, whenever somebody speaks something that's completely, utterly contrary to the Bible, am I just going to let it slide? Listen, silence is consent. If somebody comes in and, and, and says, well, you know, Jesus isn't God. Jesus isn't the only way. I believe this. That's my truth. Am I going to be silent or am I going to say, well, I respect your opinion, but God said Jesus is the only way. Yeah, you understand what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Am I willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Am I, can I be in an environment where I'm going to let things like that slide. Well, Pastor Ben, if I said that, I'd lose my job. Why is it okay for them to say what they believe and you to not say what you believe? They brought it up, not you. And I'm not telling you to just go foolishly risk your job. I'm just trying to make the point this morning that we as Christians should stand for truth. That we should stand for righteousness. If we don't, who will? If we don't come to a place where we're, willing to, where we're willing to, with compassion and with grace and with love, stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, 
then who's going to? Am I willing this morning to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Am I willing to speak the truth even though I know that it might cost me something? Not only that, will I stand for personal conviction? There's the Bible principle and then there's personal conviction. And I'm not saying personal preference. There's a difference between conviction and preference. You know, we all have preferences. Preferences can change. Convictions are Bible. Stand on convictions. I used to hear it was kind of, uh, you know, a oversimplified way of stating it. But whenever I was young, you would always hear it taught, you know, a, 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 you know, a conviction is something that you die for and anything else is just a, a preference. Kind of along those lines. But conviction is something that I, if I truly believe it, then I, I'm, I'm going to take a stand for it. It's a biblically held belief that's uncompromising. If you, if you want to have an argument today about the Bible being the word of God, you're not going to win that argument. I'm not going to hear much about that argument. Honestly, I know what I believe about the word of God, and I, I'm... I may be kind and entertain the, com the, the conversation, but you're not going to change me. And in most cases, if somebody feels really strongly about their stand on it, you're not going to change them either. If there's not an, a, a willingness to come openly and engage, but I'm not going to openly, willingly engage in something that I know Bible, biblically is accurate and true. Am I going to take a stand? Am I willing to stand for personal conviction? Listen, you ought to have personal convictions. Well, Pastor, I, I do this and I, I hold this line because that's what the church does. That's a, that's a, even if it's the right stand, it's the wrong reason. Every individual should know what the Bible says and know what they believe biblically and should stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. For righteousness sake. Will I be persecuted secondly today for Christ's sake? Will I be persecuted for Christ's sake? I understand this morning that this message isn't as fun as, hey, I need God, or hey, uh, you know, I need to submit to God, or hey, I'm, I want to be hungry and yearning for God. But it's part of the text here. Am I willing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ? We've already been talking about this some, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but for the name of Jesus. You know, if you, if you were to come to me and try to attack my wife, we're going to have a problem real fast. If you were to come to me, and if I were to come to you and to, you know, attack someone that you love, that's not going to go well. And we understand that, and I think we would all agree on that. Then how is it that we can idly sit by whenever people attack the name of Jesus and say nothing? See, the reason that you're not going to trot over her is because I love her. And the reason that you're not going to let me come and trot down someone that you love is because you love them. I, it's hard for me to describe it. I know that this is pretty blunt, but I, I, it's hard for me to understand it any other way. If I love Jesus, how can I let the world trample his name and say nothing? Nothing. 
And we're good at living the Christian life behind closed doors and in the confines of other Christians. But the world doesn't need us in here. The world needs us at the workplace and at the grocery store and at the park and everywhere else that we go. To see that we're different. To see that Jesus is working in our lives and loving through us. For Christ's sake, am I willing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ, for the name of Jesus, for the person of Christ, for who he is, for what he represents, for what he stands for. And then thirdly and lastly, am I willing to be persecuted for heaven's sake? Will I, first of all, be complicit with the prophets? What do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, will I stand up and speak truth? Listen, if you want to go out to the park and stand up and on a bench and preach the gospel, I don't think that that's wrong. I don't think that that's a problem. Now, if I want to come and find Pedro out here and interrupt his soccer game whenever he's at the park and stop play and get in his face and saying, you're just a wicked old sinner and you're going to die and go to hell just because I said so, no, that's a problem. You understand what I'm saying? Proclaim truth. Love like Christ. Be compassionate when people have needs. But take a stand for righteousness. Be complicit with the prophets. Be willing to stand up and speak truth, even if it means there's going to be a price to pay. The prophets suffered. Read the end of Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, we read the first part, we like the first part, and it talks about all the patriarchs. And then when you get down to the end, some of them were sawn in half. And you stop and think about that. They, the Bible says that their persecution and their suffering was so great that the world is not worthy of them. Are we willing this morning not to identify as a Christian but to be identified as a Christian you know there, there are there, you, you can go anywhere you want to this afternoon you can go all over and everybody's out shopping and doing all kinds of things this week's going to be insane if you've got to go out and get out it's going to be a crazy week and if you'll take the time to just stop around and scan the crowd you're going to see some things that will shock you and when you look at those things that shock you, you're going to look and what you're going to see is you're going to see all kinds of people that identify as something that they're not. Just because they identify as something doesn't make it so. And just because I identify as a Christian doesn't make it so. But the more important question for the Christian is this. When the world looks at me, do they see my true identity? See, my goal is not to go out into the world and hold up a big sign that says, hey, I'm a Christian. My goal is to go, go out into the world and for people to look and say, that's a Christian. To enter a conversation, to see the, 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 the character and the habits of life and things of that nature and say, oh, that's a Christian. The goal is for my neighbors to look at me and say, the way that I keep my house, the way that I interact with him on the street, the way that uh, I love my family when we're outside, to look and say, that's a Christian. 
I'm, it's not about what I identify as, it's how does the world see my identity? Who am I authentically? And that's, essentially that's what Jesus is getting to here. He's saying, listen, I'm coming and I'm going to find you where you are. And where you are is in your sin with the need of salvation. And I'm coming to you and I'm going to love you. And that love is going to compel you and draw you to me. And as you are come close to me and my holiness and my righteousness, you're going to see that you are lacking and that you have needs that you cannot satisfy on your own. But you're going to see in me the satisfaction of those needs. And as you're drawn from me, you're going to get hungry for me. You're not going to be repelled from me. You're going to be drawn to me. You're going to want who and what I am. And as you're drawn to me, I'm going to continue to love you. And when you receive me as your Savior, when you submit to me, when you surrender to me, when you give me your heart and you're yearning for me and you're going to become a Christian, you're going to receive my truth. Now I'm going to begin to change who you are and you're going to have compassion and you're going to be generous. You're going to give me to the world around you and, and you're, going to, uh, you're going to be growing in your faith and you're going to come to the place where you're going to stand up and you're going to be willing to take on whatever's hurled at you to be able to go out and represent me in such a way. Now go and stand on the top of that hill and be a light in the darkness and we'll get to that in a couple weeks he's laying the case this is what I'm about I, I have come to take you from where you are and to change what you are and to make you like me so that you can do the work that I've given you to do which is the work that my father gave me to do that my kingdom will be established that's the Sermon on the Mount Are we authentic? Are young people go back to school? Do your classmates and your friends look at you and say as a Christian, yeah, you're, you're real. Are we authentic? You don't have to be the greatest parent, the greatest child, the greatest pastor, the greatest Sunday school teacher, the greatest deacon, the greatest bus worker. You don't have to be the greatest school teacher. You don't have to be the greatest lawyer. You don't have to be the greatest mechanic. You don't have to be the greatest city worker. You don't have to be the greatest this, that, or the other. What you do have to be is authentic. The world doesn't care about the message if the messenger is not authentic. And it doesn't matter how much truth you proclaim if you're not authentic. I went to pick some things up at the grocery store the other day and I picked up a package, what I was looking for. I looked at the package, put it back, got the next one. Looked at the package, put it back, got the, the, the package wasn't breached. The contents were okay. But the packaging was damaged to the point I didn't want it. I'm kind of picky that way. If I'm paying for something that's new, I don't care if it's a box of crackers. If the corner's crushed, I want one that's not. And I'm, I'm going to dig until I find one that's not before I accept that one that's weird. I know, I got some OCD problems, I understand. Imagine having to live with me. I just want something that looks pristine. If I'm paying full price for it, go buy a new vehicle 
get home and find a little, just a little scratch on the door. You're not happy. At that point, I don't even want it fixed. I want a, I want a, new, I want a new one. I want, I, don't, don't tell me you'll fix it. Give me one that wasn't damaged in the first place. I didn't pay full price for, damaged, for a damaged product. And why, pray tell, would we expect the world to accept truth from damaged products? So, Pastor, but we're all damaged. He's not. And the world can look and say, you're just human, I understand, but you're real. You're real. God help us to just be real. Wherever we go, whatever we do, be real, be genuine, be authentic. Don't be a fake, don't be a fraud, don't, don't put on. These are little things that are kind of irritating to somebody like me. Preachers that have one tone of voice to have a conversation and a completely different one in the pulpit. It's like they're a whole different personality. It's like, hi, Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I'm so glad that you were able to come. It's good to see you. Can I help you with anything? But then go to the pulpit. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. You go over in the Carolinas, you get the hackers. But God uh, said uh, that you're going to get this uh, if you do this. Uh. You say, Pastor, the preachers really preach that. I, pr I promise you. They don't talk that way whenever they're having a conversation, but they act that way when they go to the pulpit. They lost me. You know why? Because I just care about people that are real. I, I, I'm not going to listen to somebody that's preaching to me that's not genuine. And neither are your coworkers and your neighbors or your children or your grandchildren be genuine. What's the message this morning? No matter what it costs, no matter what persecution is thrown at you, no matter what reprimand you face, no matter how many friends you lose, be real. Why? Because he's real. Sin is real. Heaven is real. The lake of fire is real. The reason that we're here is real. Be genuine. Pastor, you realize if you preach like that, that this is never going to be a big church. It's not really the goal. The goal is to just love the people that God lets us have. To reach people that we can along the way. Try to cultivate a love for the Lord and the people that God lets be here. The goal, quite honestly, I'd rather have our church of, on a great day, 150 on a normal day, 125 to 35, on a bad day, 105 or 10. I'd rather have that filled with people that are genuine and authentic than have a mega church of people that are just here to be entertained or here to network a business 
or here to blend into a crowd so that they don't feel convicted or feel like they've got any responsibility. Listen, we have responsibility. Amen. Every Christian has responsibility. Yes. We have a responsibility to the truth. We have a responsibility to the Savior. We have a responsibility to become who he wants us to be. Who does he want us to be? A people. He wants us to be a people that are willing to stand for truth. Jesus went throughout all the world there and he loved people and he healed people and he helped people and he faced persecution and criticism everywhere that he went. They followed him around just to try to trip him up and he just loved them. There are a couple of occasions where he spoke very bluntly and very harshly. There are even a couple of occasions where, they drove, where he drove them out of the temple. And, and unless you be one of those people that think that Jesus was just always sweet and kind and nice, he called them at times a pit of vipers and whitewashed tombs to their face. He spoke truth. And it wasn't always ex received with excitement. But he loved them and he was real. And I can't be as real as Jesus this morning. But I can sure be trying to develop my relationship with him so that he makes me more real and more like him every day. Next week we're going to come in and we're going to celebrate his coming to this earth, his putting on human flesh, his walking amongst us. But may I tell you next week that we are just commemorating what's already happened? And that we don't have to wait until Sunday to realize that he's walking among us? He is walking among us. He, you've trusted him as your savior. He lives within you in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he's leading you and he's guiding you and he's prompting you and he's hoping that you'll come to a place and that I'll come to a place where I'll say, Lord, let me step back and get out of the way and surrender to you and let you do and be, make me what you need me to be. Why? Because he has a kingdom to establish. He has people to reach. He needs authentic Bible-believing Christians that are surrendered to his will, that stand for righteousness with love and with compassion, but firmly on the truth for the cause of Christ. If we don't stand, the tsunami of sinfulness is just going to overtake everything. Stand. It's time that God's people just compassionately, kindly stood for truth.